0: The 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in is this week, and with it comes all manner of our continuing reckoning with the ensuing scandal that led to the resignation of President Richard Nixon two years later. People will read retrospectives from the likes of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. They'll rewatch all the president's men, just in case they need an extra dose of 1970s paranoia cinema. But for all the ink and celluloid spilled over the last five decades, we're still finding new stories and unheralded characters to explore. One of these is found in the new Netflix documentary, The Martha Mitchell Effect. It tells the story of the late title character in dramatic fashion with archival footage and her own words, bringing to life an integral part of the story. As Nixon himself says in the opening moments, no Martha, no Watergate. Joining us on Political Theater to discuss their project are directors Anne Alvergay and Deborah McClutchy. Welcome to Political Theater, Anne and Deborah.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Hello.
0: For sure. Before we get started in, in kind of process questions and so forth, for, for those of us like myself who has a, a bookshelf filled with Watergate related <laughs> titles, including by Judge Sirica uh, and the like, just do a quick rundown of who Martha Mitchell is. Because even I think for, for students of Watergate, sometimes she gets lost in the Haldemans and her ex husband John Mitchell and, and Nixon and Woodward and Bernstein. Do a quick just rundown of who Martha Mitchell was.
2: Sure. Martha Mitchell was a cabinet wife in Nixon's first administration. She was married to John Mitchell, who um, was Nixon's attorney general, and other people have said second in command. I mean, Nixon really leaned on Mitchell. She was an outsider to Washington society. She hailed from Arkansas, and uh, she didn't quite fit in. She was too loud and brash for sort of Washington Women's Society, and uh, she wasn't really taken seriously by the men. But she was taken seriously by the press, or at least the press listened to her. And she became quite friendly with them and was, you know, just incredibly popular. It's hard to fathom today, you know, uh, how popular she was. No one can name a cabinet wife, I think, now of Biden's administration. But, um, you know, there were polls taken at the time that she was as popular as Jackie O., so she really did become a household name,
0: and also she she was a a, a true believer. I mean, I think that your your documentary uh, establishes that that she was a believer in in Richard Nixon and and her husband John Mitchell, who was Nixon's law partner and and then Attorney General, and then went on to run uh, the aptly named Creep, uh, the Committee to Reelect the President for the Nixon seventy two campaign, and then there was this crazy incident surrounding the break in where she was. Left in California uh, on a, a fundraising sort of publicity tour, uh, her husband was called back to Washington, and she was she was trying to figure out what was going on, and was sort of held against her will uh, it, to to make sure that she didn't talk to the likes of Helen Thomas and, and so forth about what was happening. And that turned, and she, as you said, she was not she was not somebody to hold her tongue, and she talked and she talked a lot about how she thought things were uh, had gone astray with not just. The uh, Watergate, but the war in Vietnam and and people really paid attention.
2: Yeah, they, they absolutely paid attention. And yeah, I mean, throughout her entire sort of public time period, they paid attention. But, you know, I think, you know, she went from being sort of this amusing cabinet wife to being sort of dismissed and discounted by the Nixon administration and then ultimately by the press as someone who was sick and someone who um, was an alcoholic and a pill popper. And so she, you know, uh, she became a joke in a lot of ways, um, uh, unfortunately, until the end when she did have a, a brief honeymoon when people realized that she was telling the truth all along.
0: Right. And and the title of the film, The Martha Mitchell Effect, not to give too many spoilers, but this is nonfiction and in a matter of historical record, this refers to the initial diagnosis of somebody as being a lunatic or crazy or deluded. And it turns out that they're right. They were right all along. <laughs> they're telling the truth all along, kind of almost like a 20th century Cassandra, uh, if you will. Uh, people forget that Cassandra was correct about <laughs> Troy getting sacked. <laughs> so let 's talk about your process uh, i mean the, the this this documentary is is primarily archival footage it 's her own words it 's the words of the of the nixon White House and and the press and you have contemporary commentary but it's it 's primarily taken from the images in in the seventies and the early seventies and it 's just i can 't imagine what it was like to go through all this. T- tell me about your process going through all this footage to get the stuff? Because, again, this is a very svelte documentary. It moves. It's 40 minutes long, and you you feel like you've ingested a a saga by the end of it.
1: Yeah. There was a lot of material to go through, for sure. And we knew from the get-go that we wanted this to be archive-driven. We wanted it to be immersed in that time period, and we wanted it to be through Martha's voice. Um, as much as possible, and so we did research at the Nixon Library. That was our primary source of footage that we really tapped into, and
0: had people an in amazing- California.
1: In people in California, yeah, and we had an amazing archivist who helped us out there, Ryan Pettigrew he yeah he was great in just delivering materials to us and pointing us to things but both ann and i went out there on separate trips pre-pandemic and really dug through the materials and dug through all the videotape that they have and photographs and found a treasure trove of materials and then of course there's all the super eight footage that haldeman and ehrlichman had shot which is really beautiful and really amazing to have access to so Yeah. And we found things at Library of Congress, an old radio recording that hadn't been heard before, you know, in many, many years. Um, Found another interview that was in a reporter's attic that we had stumbled upon late in the process. So it was really coming from all directions in some ways, but it was a a fun process and a very deep dive that we did in terms of the research of the archive.
0: And I've got to say, just to emphasize that it's amazing how many of these sort of archival documentaries about Nixon and so forth are kind of coming out. It was like, everybody was taping one another. Everybody was either secretly or, or like on television, everybody was taking these super eight cameras. It was, it's just this unique period of time. It seems when it's not the Kennedy kind of glitz, you know, of the, of the, of 10 years before. And, and it's, it's not that kind of black and white Camelot feel, but it's before the more slick, kind of awareness of the press that that reagan had and i hesitate to use terms like innocent w- with people like nixon and haldeman and dwight chapin and so forth but like there there is almost this innocence of like so they're just speaking off the cuff like seemingly at will uh whether it's in a secret taping system or on television and then the colors are just insane because it's that i, I know some of it must have been like this that weird ectachrome stock of film and again, like for anybody who's got of people of our sort of generation, their parents' wardrobes was were eye-popping, uh, to, to, to use <laughs> a, a, a very uh, understated uh, term for it. I mean, the colors were insane. The, the interiors of their apartment in the Watergate building looked like something that like from Austin Powers, you know, it's just, I can't imagine what you had to cut because there was so much good stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's I think that's really really an important point and it's it's also important to to remember that Nixon's cabinet were quite young, right? And they were filming each other. I mean they they really do feel like these sort of revealing home movies. They didn't they were they were so happy and so excited to be there. And so yeah, there's a lot in that. Sort of period that you, that we could pull from, and we knew that you know in telling Nixon's side of the story, we had all of that great observational footage, which was awesome. You know, Martha's was a, was a little bit harder and more challenging because we kind of had to rely upon the um, the news footage.
0: Yeah, is is there anyone that David Frost didn't talk to involving Roger, Watergate? <laughs> because I mean, he's got these great quotes, you know, from from Nixon, from Martha Mitchell. Uh, it, it's and i just like this guy got everybody to dish on this.
2: Yeah, it was like a cottage industry for him, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So you're both in town for DC Docs uh, also. This is the inaugural event for them. It's uh, at at the Atlantic Plumbing Company. It's it's, uh, the very first DC Docs. What what was it like being approached to to premiere? No pressure, right? Premiere your your project uh, in the first stages of a new documentary film festival in the nation's capital.
1: It was super exciting. Sky Sydney, who is one of the founders of the festival, she was an early supporter of our film, so she had been tracking it, and when she was going to launch this new festival with Jackie here at PR Collaborative, they immediately thought of us, and it was really an honor and really gratifying that she approached us and asked us to participate, because we didn't have a DC screening necessarily otherwise. So it's really wonderful that we're able to premiere at this special event and it's super excited for DC docs and all that the future holds for the festival.
0: Yeah. Is it's the timing also, I mean like this, this is the kind of stuff that can't be planned really. Right. I mean that like, Netflix would premiere it like well I mean I'm sure Netflix wanted to premiere this on on the date of the 50th anniversary but also DC docs uh, having a slot uh, and it being so close to the anniversary and just it's it's interesting because it, it almost feels quaint compared to some of the January 6th stuff we're, we're you know finding out about I mean're we're, we're talking about a break-in where a couple of you know a few stooges played some dirty tricks on the Democrats which you know led to the downfall of a president uh, contrasted with this event that we're sort of studying right now up on Capitol Hill, where people charged the building and people died and were trying to, the, you know, they, they were trying to overturn a free and fair election. And it's an interesting contrast in, in scandals at, at the time because these January 6th hearings are all going to be about archival footage, I'm, I'm guessing myself. Uh, maybe in, in 50 years, another, <laughs> another project will be, we'll find something new along these lines. It's, did, it, did all that convergence, was it just like this moment of, wow, how did this all happen? How did this come together?
2: I mean, it's just sort of like the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, you know, we keep thinking like, oh, and this is happening. Oh, and there's this parallel and this parallel. And then, and then, of course, we had no idea what was going to happen on January 6th. And so the fact that that's happening now on the 50th anniversary is, is kind of mind-blowing. I mean, I, I agree, you know, it, when you look back at, at Watergate, and what Nixon and his men did, it feels like child's play in comparison. But I don't think it diminishes the magnitude of of, of Watergate at that time. You know, I mean, I think it, it felt like Watergate was sort of the first time where, where you know the public started to question and and really be disheartened by the presidency. And and we're we're still going through it, but just on a <laughs> a, a very higher level.
0: A hundred percent, hundred percent. I I've got to say that I mean not to I don't I don't ever like to compare you know sort of projects, but you know Stars has this limited series Gaslit, you know where Julia Roberts is playing Martha Mitchell, and I haven't gone through all of the episodes on that yet, but it's amazing how distracting the makeup is, kind of you know like for I mean like Sean Penn plays John Mitchell and. I just don't think anybody can do Mitchell like Mitchell does, uh, because, you know, he really is. If people think Nixon had jowls, I mean, Mitchell had him, you know, like jowled out. Uh, I mean, and almost this caricature of banal uh, corruption. You know, and and I again, like people should watch as as many things about Watergate as as possible because it is this fascinating story. But I wonder, if, did you think about that? You know, like the one-two punch of the like, you know, some people are going to drift towards Julia Roberts uh, for for a limited series, but this yours is like it, it's like it just gets to the point so quickly and is so vivid with the actual characters. It's a it's a heck of a starting point for all this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would argue that. There's no one like Martha Mitchell, you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean, I I think that that is that's what we have, and and she's amazing on her own. Um, you know, guess what's interesting. I mean, it's so it's fun. I think for us to watch it because we're you know watching a fictional version play out, scenes play out that we, you know, couldn't visualize just because we didn't have the archival. Um, it's also eight hours, and it really also is a lot more about John Dean and Liddy than it really is about Martha Mitchell. So.
1: Yeah, Gaslit goes off on uh, many other tangents besides Martha, and ours really hones in on her. And, it, and I would argue that, yeah, the, the real people are larger than life characters. And so they're so fascinating to watch. So when you see the real Martha, there's really no one that can really portray her. Wow.
0: And uh, I mean, just I wanted to note, too, again, this is not a spoiler alert. It's a matter of a historical record that, you know, Martha Mitchell did not have a voice for a long time. As you said, she had this brief sort of uh, resurgence uh, after after as Watergate played out where she was on television shows. And, and you know, I think she was on To Tell the Truth at one point. And, you know, like uh, there, she was a pop phenomena. And then she died, you know, j- just a couple of years after Nixon's resignation. And I think I can't help but think that that has played into some of the, you know, kind of historical neglect of her voice. Mm-hmm. And and what a what a voice it is. I mean, it's it's not just you know cuts through the BS, but it's it's this like southern. You said like she was like from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. You know, I mean, like we. We have a history of colorful Arkansas politicians in this country. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, and um, I just think that this is, you know, particularly with our own reckoning as a country with like, Hey, we have, we have tended to move towards like historical treatment in the view of particularly white men, because they were in power for, for so long, they were writing the textbooks, they were holding office, that people like Martha Mitchell were, uh, sort of cast aside and, and forgotten, and now there, there's this is the time to bring them their stories up. It, again, it's it's a great story, and the and the way you tell it is very vivid. There isn't, it doesn't seem like there's a wasted moment in it. What uh, what should people know uh, about about your project that I didn't ask?
2: It's obviously a, a very topical tale, right? Um, It has a lot of parallels to today with Me Too, you know, corruption at the highest level, gaslighting. But I think in essence, it's also you know, a love story and a love triangle and, and, you know, between Nixon and John Mitchell and Martha, you know, Nixon and Martha sort of vying for John Mitchell's attention. And I think that was sort of the motivation for Martha speaking out was not only because she wanted to tell the truth and she felt like she'd been maligned in California, but That she had information and uh, she wanted to protect John because she foresaw that he was going to take the fall for Nixon and you know whether or not he knew that or not he ultimately chose Nixon and he paid a price so I think I think it's it's important to understand sort of the personal fallout uh, of of these larger scandals and that's something that we wanted that was part of the focus of, of Martha
0: there is this very sad moment at the end after his prison sentence where he sort of maligns her and you can just feel like sort of the sadness there that accompanies, which is not, I mean, Watergate in general has typically brought out a lot of anger in people. And what I think sometimes does get lost is the sadness is the, is sort of this tragedy. There's the, the Nixonian sort of Shakespearean tragedy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, reaching down to the mo- the most personal levels between husbands and wives and, and so forth is, is something that is, is relatively new. You know, I, there's a little bit of it in Thomas Malin's novel about Watergate, Watergate. And, but I think that this touches on it. And, and again, in a way that like, I mean, you all just, you get to the point so quickly and there's just, it's like a, a, a great news photograph or great news story where it's so lean and so incisive that it's hard to, it's hard to look away and it's also hard to forget so thank you yeah congratulations on it um i w- wish you all the best with uh, uh how it does on netflix and and uh on, at, at dc docs i mean it's a it's a quick run in, D- in dc docs uh so i am sure that there will be more people who want to talk to you about this uh thanks so much it, it premieres on netflix on june 17th on friday and then you're off to the races so congratulations
2: thank you so much
1: thank you so much